You're listening to Season 2 of We're Talking Leasing, a podcast series from Weirfolds LLP's commercial leasing lawyers in Ontario, Canada. In Part 2 of the season, our lawyers and guest speakers discuss key topics through the lens of the COVID-19 pandemic, such as navigating the real estate market, landlord and tenant issues, and how to prepare for future crises. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. My name is Lisa Borsick. I'm the executive partner at Weirfold, and I'm here speaking with Fred Wax and Jay Wax. And the topic for today is real estate in the last six months, an interview with real estate entrepreneurs. So I think that what our listeners are interested in is how you two brothers came to be involved in real estate. And then maybe you can give us a bit of a description about the different kinds of real estate that you're involved in, because you're both doing different kinds of things. So I'm, I'm really interested in how, you know, your early family life may, maybe has shaped you into real estate entrepreneurs. And then how it is that your professional tracks diverge because you've done two different kinds of real estate, which I think will be really interesting for our listeners to hear about. Um, maybe we'll, we'll start with you, Jay, because you're the oldest. <laughs> Much older. Um, <clears throat> so uh, thanks, Lisa, for having us. My parents uh, and grandparents, my mother's parents, came from Europe after the war. And my grandfather... Uh, dabbled. Whenever I say grandfather, I'm referring to my mother's father. Dabbled in real estate in Europe, but when he came to Canada, he uh, had a great opportunity, and he uh, was buying and selling old houses, physically cleaning them up himself and flipping them. And he became uh, very big at this in the early 1950s. My parents got married in '52, and at which point my father was working on Spadina on the Avenue, as many of the newcomers to Canada were doing from uh, Europe. And he uh, ended up getting an opportunity with my grandfather to get into real estate as well, um, in a different way. My father was a house builder uh, in the 50s, uh, was partners with a, a number of people um, who, who went on to do very, very well in time. And so that, that was their background in, in the construction industry. And they, they were had separate partners. My grandfather, most of his business was uh, residential, high-rise. My father was much more interested in doing the commercial and specialized in building royal banks for many, many years. I think he built about, about 25 of them over his uh, lifetime. I, from a very, very young age, loved to go to work with my father. Just to, I could sit and watch concrete pour and the proverbial paint dry on properties. I really enjoyed doing it, particularly in commercial. And I followed my father around dutifully and loved going with him and being with him. Uh, we were I was very close with both my parents, but particularly my father, because we shared this interest. And when I had an opportunity to go into the office and uh, be a part of the business and carry on his legacy, it was a tremendous opportunity. And I also, at the same time, my grandfather was getting into his 70s and wanted to semi-retire. I learned on the job, uh, looking after his buildings as well. And uh, that's uh, where we came to be in this business. Freddie, take it away. I had no interest in the business. I didn't go to the office. Jay had a girder and panel set from Kenner's, and I had a GI Joe. I had no uh, compunction that I just wanted to see what my dad could buy me on the weekend from with the newest toys that were coming out. So um, fundamentally, um, <laughs> as a child, uh, I was the younger son and uh, really couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I was much more 
um, artistically inclined than sports and my father loved business and sports and so did Jay. So I'd say my, my uh, original years in terms of until I became a teenager uh, really had no, no inkling that I'd be a part of this industry. Um, what is inter interesting is that um, uh, growing up, uh, my parents um, uh, were away a lot. So fundamentally from the age of my early uh, teens, my brother actually raised me, uh, given that mom and dad were in Florida all winter and Europe all summer. Um, so you know, we always had a very, very great uh, close uh, relationship, uh, like most brothers in their, you know, uh, pre-teens who wanted to kill each other, and we did. And he was the older brother, so he was going to be the one destined to work in the family business. And uh, that's really the way things turned out. I went out my uh, my merry way, and uh, Jay basically took over for my grandfather and my dad. I, you know what? I never knew that. I've known both of you a long time, but I didn't realize that um, Jay was the one who cultivated the interest in real estate from as a child and that you came to it sort of later in life. Jay, did you ever have any other jobs other than working in real estate? No, no, not really. From the time I was, uh, remember, 16 years old, we were building out in Mississauga and I would get up at five in the morning and drive out there. And my mother, God bless her, always told me to take Dundas. She didn't want me to take the highway. Those are the sort of memories. And by the way, um, in Freddie's defense, he went into the business because he knew he was going to be successful and he had very uh, high uh, spending habits, kind of like my mother. So it was inevitable. He had to be successful. So, Fred, you had other jobs before you went into real estate? If you call being a camp counselor, uh, being a, having a job, yeah, that was basically it. Uh, but, the, but my camping experience really did teach me uh, how to deal with people. And uh, where my brother uh, was much more self-righteous, um, I, I actually learned extremely well how to uh, manipulate and manage my way through and dealing with all sorts of interesting high um High, in, high net worth and high uh, powerful people uh, that went to the camp and uh, um, did extremely well in that, in that venue. I, I know I was good with uh, my people skills um, and that was really the first place where I saw it. Uh, the other thing is, is that Jay was a very, very good, good student. And I remember my father coming home in grade nine and asked me if I wanted to work at McDonald's based on my, uh, his meetings with my teachers. So. Uh, again, there was a divergence in terms of excelling, um, in terms of uh, what motivated us uh, back then. You were around then because basically it goes back to the early 80s. You know, I didn't know about any of that. I never thought, uh, Jay is studious and has been trained in real estate since he was a child. And you started out doing other things. Lisa, to be fair, to be fair, once Freddie figured out what he wanted to do, he was terrific at it. He would ingratiate himself to the right people from the get-go. And when he first started out working at LePage, taking the opportunities and, and endearing himself to the right people, uh, honest, uh, don't under, understate that because it really is what makes him so successful to this day. Yeah, his, the ability to judge people. In some ways, I, I would say that the both of you are telling me that that ability to connect with other people and to, to, to understand what's motivating them is more important than understanding 
you know, real estate fundamentals. I, I think that's fair. And in my experience with both of you, um, you have a very sort of practical approach to taking care of your real estate. Lisa, I, I would say that we've been blessed. We're very grateful for our opportunities. And um, my father's wish was always to, to pass on success and, and, and a good portfolio to us. And it was our duty and obligation not to screw it up and make sure to pass it on to the next generation with the same care and, and love. And, 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 uh, and, and I think that's a huge part of what motivates both Freddie and I, particularly as we get into our mid-60s. If that's the criteria for success, you should consider yourself as having achieved that. The past six months have been, I, I don't know if they've been for you. For me, they've been uh, extraordinary. And what's gone on in the past six months seems to me to be different from a real estate perspective than from the other crises that we've all weathered. Because I think, unfortunately, all of us are old enough to remember the downturn in real estate in 1989. And then um, that lasted for a couple of years. We had a good ascendancy. And then there was a, a bump in the road in 2008. I, I was interested in, in your respective views with respect to why this, the past six months are different or, 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 your, or just your views on how the pandemic has changed what you do or the, the, you know, the way you're handling your jobs. Um, yeah, I mean, the paradigm has changed so dramatically in terms of investment criteria over the last six months as to what, what type of investment uh, is, is safe. And, and I think that the beginning or mid-March was probably the, the crisis point from what I saw in terms of institutional partners, our own family assets, the running of, of, of Trinity, and um, because there was such concern as to who was going to actually pay the rent and uh, what type of rent and what amounts and what type of government intervention there would be. And, um, you know, once, once we got through March, I'm not going to say things turned back to normal because the things still are not normal. Uh, but I think people became a lot more sanguine and, and calm to figure out how to manage um, their portfolios through this process. And when was the government going to be something that's going to be an asset, when it was going to be a deterrence, and, um, and basically look at a case study on almost every tenant you have. You cannot generalize as to uh, how one was going to manage their portfolio. In the beginning, basically, every a bank and, and every tenant with a AAA covenant um, was trying one in terms of rent deferrals or abatements. And, um, and then they came to the realizations that they were going to be able to get away with some and not. What, what the real difference I've seen is it didn't matter back in the spring if you had a, a covenant or you didn't have a covenant, the landlord was going to suffer and they were not going to get paid until there was some sort of procedure. And Lisa, through your own firm all too well, the um, amount of care and time it's taken to actually collect and manage the portfolio. The other thing that happened is that there's a huge bifurcation in terms between commercial and residential in terms of evaluations and actual uh, cash flow and rental forecasts, where rent uh, for residential certainly was coming, um, you know, coming in on a, on a pretty close in the 90s and where uh, retail was starting off in the 
mid seventies is now finally climbing back up into the nineties. But uh, Jay had, had, had done an incredible job with our own family portfolio where quite frankly, um, I, I, I've got something I've never done before. I'm accumulating cash. Saving except for also spending a lot of time with somebody's husband on the dock and having vodka and cigars every day. Uh, it's been pretty, pretty much business life is normal. And of course, spending a lot of time with my grandchildren. So I look at it somewhat as a blessing. Jay, you're managing um, a different kind of portfolio from the one that Fred has. So maybe you can talk about your last six months context of your portfolio and and maybe by way of background if you could just try and distinguish between the two kinds of portfolios that we're talking about so that people understand what the differences are sure so just generally speaking freddie is the big picture guy he you know he's dealing in larger projects um with with large mortgages um, completely, you know, different perspective on on what where he's working and what he's doing. Um, I should say that. Um, so my blessing is is that my pr- portfolio is mostly older properties with little or no mortgages. Um, I have more flexibility. That means, firstly, secondly, I'm blessed. You know, and I'm sure you you know that Freddie and I are very close, and and I have another partner uh, who's also. Um, we're close with and and they're supportive of everything and every decision I make. So, you know, our first discussion March 15th was, what are we going to do with tenants? And the first reaction was, let's see what they want because, it, and we were less proactive or, or less prepared perhaps uh, to, to deal with them. Um, I'm dealing again in the, in the nitty gritty, whereas Freddie's, you know, I'm dealing with every individual tenant. Freddie's dealing with the large tenants with big money. I'm dealing with the $2,000 a month tenants as well. The, the hair salons, the nail salons, the uh, dentists, um, all the people that were struggling. Well, they were closed down. Never mind, struggling. Um, so, again, with the support of my brother and partner, you know, I was able to cut deals. My first reaction was, let's let's give them a deferral. The money's coming back to us. Um, it took me until I would say middle of June where I realized that this is completely unfair to my tenants. And I actually, in a number of them, I apologized and I said, I'm sorry it took me so long to come, come to the conclusion that the SECRA program offered to subsidize the commercial properties was, although a terrible program, and I still have some fundamental issues with it. Um, and probably the biggest one being is that I have to take a 25% reduction in my income as a result. And, and, you know, what the government never, you know, understood or, or didn't care. And I, I really honestly say they don't care. Landlords, uh, have to take bigger haircuts is, um, that that as a result of what went on, I lost tenants. So never mind, I lost twenty five percent. I'm losing the some of the smaller tenants who couldn't afford to stay around. But we're blessed again with little or no mortgages and with solid tenants. My father's um, um, basis, what he brought was um, banks, food stores, drug stores, and LCBO Dollaramas. Is solid tenants who are, frankly, for the most part, flourishing under these circumstances, and we're blessed to have them. And, and in fact, I'm actually 
talking about the day-to-day stuff, I'm actually blessed that I've recently renewed a drugstore deal. I've just renewed a food store deal. Um, uh, and, and I'm you know thrilled to be able to say that because, as Freddie says, we can't take these things for granted. And um, um, it's been a lot of hand-holding and a lot of you know, humility on our part. But again, the idea is at the end of the day, if there are tenants who I believe in, uh, I, I, I use an example. I have a person who owns a kickboxing place out in Burlington in a property of ours. And I honestly feel she she's a young lady who's worked her butt off. She didn't have a chance when things were closed down. And I really yeah. her a great deal of like to think compassion. I hope she thinks so as well. But I know in my heart, I sleep at night knowing that I am doing the best to sustain those small tenants that really need my care. So I'm the small picture guy. And residentially, we've been very blessed. But, you know, our portfolio is $1,000 a month rents, a a lot of them. And and $1,000 a month rents, you know, the program, the CERB program offered by the government has sustained them. I'm concerned what's going to happen October and November when 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 this money stops coming in, I'm very concerned about it, and I hope our government is concerned about it as well. And and Fred, um, I know that you've taken some advantage of Secra. I haven't had a landlord talk to me yet about the joys of working through the Secra program. I think everybody feels it was not well conceived and difficult, in particular, to take advantage of. Um, even if you wanted to, what are your thoughts, Fred, on you know the government intervention and how they've handled what's occurred over the last six months? So, so I, I have mixed emotions because, first of all, I think that our the Ontario government handled the situation extremely well, and I think we the results speak for themselves in terms of you know dealing in a in a crisis when you have a pandemic. But I do resent when the government feels that, um, you know, having 40 years of experience, I don't need them to tell me uh, what's equitable uh, in dealing with a tenant uh, while they're not being equitable in terms of dealing with our lenders and where, you know, there's no moratorium or uh, uh, opportunity to restructure your debt, but they want you to restructure your income. So outflows stay the same and, and rents go down. And, you know, that's something I haven't had experience with the family assets because of how conservatively we manage those. But in the rest of the world, there's certainly a direct correlation between the two. So, for example, when things happen in March and, and, and the government forced, you know, certain ten, you know, tenants to close, et cetera, I had a 5,000 square foot uh, furniture store that did outdoor furniture. I didn't need the government to say that that I needed to give these people a break and that they were not going to make their summer uh, sales. That basically, where they do ninety percent of their of their business, and 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 we gave them a uh, an abatement and and uh, you know made sure to help them along. They were a ten thousand square foot tenant, and we you know again it goes back to we looked at each individual case and where someone was taking advantage uh, of us, we we took the position. Um, again, to make sure that we stood and, uh, and, and kept what our rights were by having the contracts that we had signed. And those who basically um, were in, in, in desperation, we dealt with their desperate matters. But again, people are under this mis, uh, misapprehension 
that rent makes up a huge amount of the overall uh, gross cost of operations. They make up only between three and 20% when a tenant is doing healthy or when they're doing sales that are. So when a, when a food store, is, uh, you know, um, nothing happened there, a drug store, nothing, LCBO, nothing, banks, nothing. But, you know, when you're dealing with uh, the clothing business, yes, there's an absolute need to have reconciliations there. But the food business, I, I would tell you, save and except for the, the delivery services were basically uh, taking uh, due advantage of the restaurants, charging 25 to 30% for the deliveries, the overhead and the rest of the uh, costs um, were, were basically sustainable. And when you don't have staff and you don't have the same food prep, et cetera, there were a lot of people out there with big covenants that basically took advantage of a bunch of tenants. And I think you're familiar with them because we used your firm of yeah. uh, making sure to take a position that was equitable. So the provincial government has tabled a bill to extend the moratorium on evictions um, to the end of October, although that bill hasn't passed. And, unfor and unfortunately, it puts all landlords into a bit of a, a, a state of limbo because they don't know what, what it is they can and can't do with respect to their tenants, um, at least those tenants that could have applied for CEQA and didn't. I know there are a lot of landlords who resented uh, having to apply for CEQA for those tenants, for instance, that were already in default. They didn't think that was fair. I'm trying to get a picture of um, where you see uh, let's talk about the retail landscape in the next three months. And then I'm interested in where, what you think we'll be talking about in September of 2021 in the context, again, specifically of the retail landscape, because, uh, and you can stop me anytime. I think, I think what I'm hearing from you is that neither of you are super concerned about um, what's going to play out in the residential portfolios that you have. Um, I don't think that either of you has sort of an intensive uh, office portfolio. And if you do, it's, it's more of a, it's not a downtown orientation. I think the office portfolios are going to have a lot of challenges, but uh, which it, it sort of sets the stage and you can disagree with me anytime you want. What do you think will happen in the next three months? What, what conversations do you think we'll be having a year from now? Jay? Uh, I, I think that in the short term, meaning from now until the spring, I think we're going to have a lot of problems with tenants paying. I'm talking about commercial tenants paying rent. I think there's going to be significant issues. I think it, 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 I think we've come to, maybe we've come to a realization that business will try and go on with limitations, obviously, but physical limitations and people. Uh, but as of now, I, I'm surprised, in fact, and I think the government may have to step in just how bad the numbers are soaring for COVID. Um, I think that there's going to have to be some sort of realization businesses are going to continue. I'm going to try and be somewhat optimistic, but I expect that the tenants that I'm having problems with will continue to have problems. Honestly, until there's a, 
an announcement for a vaccine, I think they're going to be, or there's going to be more fallout. There has to be more fallout. The subsidies have really kept a lot of our tenants going, and I'm quite concerned about that. Long term, obviously, I would say that 70% of my portfolio, and that's just an estimate, are the solid not just AAA, but the ones that, that, that are, are somewhat buffered, again, food stores, drug stores, tenants like that, are, and, and we'll be fine with them. The small ones, I'm going to continue to have problems with. I do have a small office component. It, it's, it, it shouldn't be significantly, although I've lost two tenants last month in one, in a, in one of my prime locations, relatively speaking, but it shouldn't be significantly impacted because most of them are they're just for people who live in the neighborhood and uh, who, who just don't want to out of their house. And the rents are relatively inexpensive for the most part. I break even if I'm lucky on some of these properties. And uh, and, and that will continue to be the case. And, and we just hope that we can you know hold on um, until, again, there's an announcement for a vaccine, in which case I think that people are dying for optimism. I think that you, you're seeing it in cross-border shipping, things like that, that uh, some of the statistics that are coming out that are quite positive. And I, I even would venture to say that the election might have some determination on how positive things will look. I, I, I Just in passing, I get the impression that you're not planning per se, kind of dealing with things on a pretty much a day-to-day -day basis. That is, it's not your ambition to like to use this as an opportunity to restructure centers or do anything like that. It's more a function of day-to-day -day planning. We're we're looking restructuring in a different form. Frankly, we're we're um, I, I guess organizational stuff with partners. Perhaps I'm also fortunate enough to be doing a couple of uh, remortgaging. Uh, situations which are very advantageous right now to us, but that's only by the luck of timing that we're doing those. But you know, for the most part, we're we're quite solid. And at the end of the day, I, I'm going to say that we're going to be close to 85, 90 percent of what we normally are, and I think that's a blessing, to be honest with you, in such a significant downturn. And uh, although I'm being very conservative, you know, Lisa, one thing we didn't uh, didn't mention, and I think it is important, is that my spending has not only not gone down. Uh, but but if anything, it's gone up. I've had to be more vigilant about cleaning and disinfecting and things like that in buildings, not just commercial offices, but obviously in apartments as well. And there's you know no talk that landlords, although people think we're evil, I have not cut down on any expenses. My paving, my my roof repairs, my replacements, my HVAC replacements, all of that has to go forward regardless of what's going on. Yeah, I I think that's an important thing that people forget about. That um, not only how are you continuing to have to incur those expenses, but in a lot of ways your expenses will probably be increased over above what they were, say, a year ago. Absolutely. Yeah, Fred. Um, I think the one you know you went through a, a myriad of different things that are going to happen in the next three months, but the most important thing that's going to happen from my perspective is they're going to be closing down patios, you know, and that is going to take a huge bite into uh, the industry. Um, I think things are quite uh, tenuous in terms of the next three months. I think everyone's going to have to sit there and try to figure out, uh, you know, what they're going to feel safe. And, uh, you know, I was reading an article today where people just have had it and based on the hospitalizations and mortality rate, 
you know, people are, are being a little more laissez-faire. If we have, um, you know, better testing and then we're going to be home testing and quicker results, et cetera, there's so many variables that are going to make us, you know, you know, uh, react to uh, how things are going to progress or not progress. I certainly think, and I'm looking at 100 years ago, you know, the Spanish flu ran for two years. I think this thing's going to be until we have the um, vaccine and the people decide that they want to take the vaccine, if people are going to decide they want to take the flu shot. There's so many things that, you know, have, are determined where business and health and family and way of life and, and quality of life are all now entwined for the first time. And in terms of, you know, our last week I was supposed to have a meeting at one of my partner's offices. Somebody had to go for a test and, and we ended up, you know, Zooming. I mean, you know, we didn't know what Zooming was uh, until uh, six months ago. So it's such a hard one to have a crystal ball for. You're listening to We're Talking Leasing by Weirfold's Commercial Leasing Lawyers. Are the issues being discussed far too familiar for you during this time of crisis? If so, our lawyers are here to help. No matter is too big or small. Send us a message at firm at weirfolds.com and we'll get back to you as quickly as possible. Now, back to the episode. I know that um, and that in your portfolio, um, you're also halfway into projects and uh, how you are moving those projects forward or thinking about those projects. Has that changed at all or will it change? Just anecdotally, I mean, we have, we are, we're in the midst of doing a, a high rise in Ottawa right now. And, and unfortunately, the cement truck driver um, uh, was on site, had COVID, passed away. Our head of, um, of construction was there. He had to be tested and we we're all waiting to get results for the test to figure if we had to all get tested. The, the, sub, uh, the uh, site was shut down for two weeks. So that's just a little photograph of reality of what's going on. In terms of looking at, yeah. at future developments and looking at what's going on, we've, we're continuing to buy. Um, we're looking for opportunities, um, but we're not looking at interesting now. We're not looking at a lot of retail situations now. We're looking at only urban and mixed use. And of course, the latest news is everyone's going to the suburbs. So it's, it's so hard to navigate as to what uh, short-term, medium-term, and long-term prospects look like. I still believe very, very strongly in the 416, uh, particularly in the residential business. Um, and, and I still believe that there's, you know, that Toronto is still deemed to be a, a safe place. And, um, and, you know, in the beginning of the year, we were looking at a multi-billion dollar portfolio across North America. And it wasn't COVID that stopped us from doing it. It was what's going on in the United States socially. And um, that really put a pause for us uh, moving forward. So I think that COVID and the direct results or not so direct results of what's happening in terms of the unrest in the streets, which we've never experienced, most of us, because I, I think we're too young to remember what happened in Berkeley in 68 or in Chicago. Um, but 
it's pretty scary south of the border right now. When you guys talk to other either real estate professionals or lenders, um, are are you are you receiving mixed signals or is do you think that a lot of the thinking aligns with what you what the two of you have been talking about? taking into consideration the respective differences in your portfolios? I, I, I would say um, a couple of friends of mine in the commercial business are, are are reacting like I am, more or less reacting and not being as proactive as, as we might be in terms of reaching out to the tenants and let them come to us with their problems. Um, but, but we have different views on who we should be supporting, uh, I have to say. Um, uh, he was, I was looking at the hair salons, again, travel agency and those sort of units. He was more concerned about the restaurants, but he has a restaurant park in particular, and uh, he's concerned about uh, where that's going to be and much, much higher rents to deal with. So it's got a bigger uh, cushion, but a bigger fall off as well. Um, but commercially, and, and some of my best friends are, are commercial, are, are, I'm sorry, residential or residential condo developers, and they're just using the opportunity to, to push forward big time, big time. No hesitation whatsoever, because they're looking three years down the road, four years down the road. They can afford to be. It's, it's uh, fun to watch them. They're, they're, they're being very aggressive. And, and frankly, the city is being very receptive. So why not take advantage, frankly? And is that true for you too, Fred, with the larger projects? And I know that you have partners and lenders. And are, are you all singing from the same songbook? Or um, I think for the projects that we're working on, financing is not an issue. Uh, we have a myriad of lenders that want to do business with us still because basically they are very much um, uh, residential oriented. We also have very strong uh, partners in Timber Creek and the like. Money is available and money is available in terms of doing deals. Um, you know, I watch you know, my portfolio and I watch uh, uh, you know, my old sector and I sit there and see the uh, bifurcation of, of results and what's going on and that um, you know, everybody choice is, is up dramatically and some rates are down dramatically. Um, I think everybody looks at the balance of what the tendencies look like in terms of valuations and, and um, you know, it's, it's really, really quite, again, interesting that, you know, a, a company like CT Reed or, or Choice that has Loblaws and Shoppers Drug Mart and CT that has Canadian Tire um, and the, you know, the necessary items, the non, uh, you know, um, you know, situations where where you, you, these are absolute must-haves um, they're doing great and the ones that also have the most conservative balance sheets are doing well so i speak regularly with with people from those groups and 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 have lunches and talk about the industry and a lot of it's a, a lot of talk is about personnel and how we're all dealing with um you know motivating and making sure our our teams are back at work and everybody has come to the same conclusion that the biggest changes is getting people to understand that face-to-face -face and working and, and respecting everybody's wishes to be safe, but also making sure that you're being able to uh, continue to do business um, and business to its fullest extent. So when you look down the road and you look at specific businesses, I've had some 
tenants, for instance, who are anchor tenants, talk to me about what they think the rest of their centers are going to look like, whether there's a future for, you know, strip malls or whether, in fact, uh, actually it may be that um, uh, fortress malls are the ones that are in bigger in, 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 in big trouble. Those malls which are uh, largely indoors and which people um, maybe are not as anxious to go to. Um, uh, if you are making investments today in real estate, where do you think you would go or stay away from? I guess you're not thinking about selling a lot of people who own assets. I haven't heard anybody tell me they're thinking of selling assets. Well, for me, it's residential. I, I, th I'd be investing in residential in the 416 area in particular. It's irreplaceable. It's there's, there's always room for residential, notwithstanding the government trying to screw it up, and, and they are trying awfully hard. Right. You're talking about apartment buildings and things like that? Yeah. Apartments, I guess, condominium development in the 416. That would be my thinking. A lot of smart money, Lisa and Jay, is going to industrial because of the change in, in uh, shopping patterns and uh, much easier to build, much safer, uh, less expensive, less capital. And, uh, you know, industrial rents are now starting to hit the same as strip malls. So um, there's a there's a big, big movement for institutions to look at industrial today. Yeah. Yeah. And there are retail tenants within um, sort of strip portfolios that are revisioning their own spaces to use them more like depots. But I can tell you that in terms of the work that I do, it is really industrial that's taken off. I mean, there there seems to be um, a lot of appetite for absorbing industrial space, and that's obviously not in the four one six area code. That's outside of the four one six area code. Yeah, that's where you basically follow. Where where is uh, you know Amazon, and where is you know it, you know where, where are people going to be putting their distribution centers, and, and you follow suit to that. Um, but going back to the different types of, of retail, et cetera, um, you know, we still hear that basically the major fortress malls are only collecting uh, sub 50 in terms of the uh, of, of the rents. And of course, they're in d discretionary items. And the certainly the clothing business has not returned anywhere it was. The other paradigm that's going to change uh, yeah. before the, uh, the pandemic. Um, uh, online sales were sitting in the low teens, 12 and a half in that, in that point. And they've gone up to probably close to 40%. Now I'm not saying they're going to stay at 40%, but they're certainly not going to return to 12 and a half. And if you take a look that you believe that they're going to end up somewhere 25%, the acceleration to double up in a couple of years where they were, uh, speaks volumes as to why industrial um, I mean, I can't go home now where there's not 16 parcels sitting in my front vestibule. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a consensus there, Fred, that that the you know um, the 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 internet what people expected to happen in the retail industry, particularly in clothing, over the next three years, effectively happened in the last five months. Yes, it accelerated. Yes, but but Lisa, I, but I'd still say that the the um, bricks and mortar for again, what anchors are plazas is is 
I won't say irreplaceable because you can deliver food, but it's not the same. It's not the same for at least I can't I can't speak for everybody's family. I can speak for my family. I can speak for the sales that I see for my tenants. And then all my tenants are not, you know, huge food stores necessarily. I have a food store, you know, four or five locations. All of but and they they're they're we're they're in a solid position right now. So I think there's a place for small or moderately small under a hundred thousand square foot strip plazas that service specific areas with specific needs drugstores, food stores, as I keep harping on. And I think they will continue to be that way. Maybe banks is not, maybe not as much. But again, there, there's uh, uh, what, we're, what anchors our family business are, are, and are, are good areas and, and solid, solid tenants. Yeah. So I, you have confidence, I guess. Um, certainly, I, I, like we've, everybody seems to have confidence in the food industry. I guess that people will return to service industries, right? Maybe not as much confidence in what people will do go forward with respect to uh, retail clothing, I think is maybe a little more challenged is what I'm hearing. And I'm not 100% sure what happens to banks. I don't know anybody who goes much into a bank anymore. I mean, they use the ATMs. I, I just renewed in Ottawa a TD that's 12,000 square feet last week. So they have confidence. That's an interesting. So have you any other thoughts, uh, topics that we haven't hit that relate to your real estate portfolios that you think we should be mentioning? I think Freddie and I both agree that uh, we're going to participate in helping out our tenants that a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of other people have to join in in helping them. The, and and Freddie alluded very quickly to a couple, but um, our realty taxes aren't going down, needless to say. Um, the insurance companies and our insurance is not going down. In fact, as as you're quite well aware, they took a, we took a huge hit in the past two years. Um, uh, our our util, uh, our, all of our other utilities are not going down. Our services aren't going down that are applied. And frankly, I resent... The, the the government calling me and, and saying we'd like your input and 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 then you give them their input and they're not interested in hearing about those things because frankly um, if they think that the landlords are rich they should look at the insurance companies and all these utility companies and ask yourself geez when are they going to participate in residential and commercial uh, help Fred any last thoughts with respect to the real estate portfolio. We've broached before about certain businesses, so I'm just going to quickly. Restaurants will continue to be in business. Gyms, uh, I would invest in Peloton and entertainment venues. Um, <laughs> who knows? I mean, again, you know, yeah. not, the only thing I will say is that people have called for the demise of the uh, cinema business now since the advent of television. Um, and as they say in TV, stay tuned because I think that. Uh, People will have short memories and will want to get out. But I know, for one, I haven't been stepped inside a theater uh, in the last eight months. I haven't stepped into a, 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 an arena in the last eight months. And, um, you know, and, and but restaurants, uh, particularly the Keg and Berry, I've been to. <laughs> <laughs> you think people, I think people do want to go back to restaurants, but the ones that are, 
in uh, more centralized locations. I think they're going to be struggling for a while, particularly to the extent that they depended on, um, you know, office tenants. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the role that philanthropy plays in your life. But if you could focus your question on how the role that it plays in your real estate life, I would be interested in hearing about that. I know that both of you are incredibly philanthropic, and I was interested in your response to that. Well, um, you know, I will say it really simply. Um, when I decided to leave my day job, um, at, at which I was extremely successful at, and and at age 57 go on and try a new uh, um, venture, um, the only thing I was concerned about was not the ability uh, to be successful, but would I have the ability and the leverage to uh, continue doing the uh, philanthropic work that I do. Uh, philanthropy is extremely important in my life. I would say that um, uh, particularly um, in, for amounts of time, I can spend as, sometimes as many hours on, in the week, and that's not during business hours, but after hours in dealing um, with philanthropic endeavors. So it's, and, and I also find it to be a very important part of us to um, friendships, business relationships. Um, I find it hard to yeah. separate the two. It's something that I think is kind of lost sometimes, which, which is the extent to which real estate remains a relationship business. Absolutely. And, 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 and the truth is my business partners and my philanthropic partners and my friends and, and, and the, my access to the biggest names in the industry and some of the most important people in our country have not been because of my, uh, my business um, career. It's because yeah. of my philanthropic career. And it is extremely gratifying to find like-minded people that believe in the greater good. Uh, because at some point in time, you have to think about more than your family and yourself. And you need to think about the, the you know, Jay said, kept on talking about the good fortune we have, but that's because we live in a country and we have to have a safety net for those who can't have it themselves. And we know that the government can't afford to be looking after everybody. So it's incumbent on those who are successful to do so. Well, that's why I wanted to mention it, because for those people that might listen to this po um, podcast and who are younger and are, you know, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to find a way to encourage all of them to go out and do something that's heartfelt and that, that um, and, and from those, from the two of you who are most seasoned in that regard to explain how, how much good it can do for you, not just personally, but that professionally it can make a difference particularly in the real estate industry in any industry lisa you're probably right if you were looking back and you could give yourself advice what advice would you have given yourselves you know you you think would really uh be the most important advice that you could have given your younger selves if you will uh, i you know i always think of the words my mother said it, it didn't pertain to real estate necessarily but she never, ever regretted what she bought. She only regretted what she didn't buy. <laughs> so applicable to real estate. She was talking about jewelry, incidentally. But <laughs> I, 
I think it's very applicable to real estate that, that had you bought anything 20 and 30 years ago, anything, um, uh, you couldn't help but be successful. It's irreplaceable. And for the 416 real estate in particular, it's just irreplaceable. And, and um, people are making a fortune off of dilapidated industrial buildings on, you know, on Spadina Avenue, just as an example. Um, and, and, and any industrial place in the city and any, 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 any apartment you buy have just done extremely well. So I always think of those words of my mother. I never regret what I bought. I regret what I didn't buy. Fred, any advice to your younger self? I do have some humility. I've worked for two bankrupt companies. I learned a lot from that exposure. I wouldn't have done it any other way. Um, you know, I helped to, uh, to, to build, um, you know, one of the largest uh, real estate companies in Canada. Um, and and uh, almost everything I've, I've done goes back to my connections in philanthropy. Um, and there's a direct correlation between going out and networking and, and doing things without expecting anything in return. But somehow, if you do the right thing, it always happens. The last thing is, is, is that, and because I do have a, 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 between my taking leadership roles in philanthropy and, and my lifestyle, I've always wanted to make sure that whatever I did would not diminish the portfolio for my children and make sure not to ever encumber, sell, or do anything so they would have the same thing that safety net that I had and my brother had, and so far, so good. So, and, um, yeah, but I don't think I would have done anything differently because I've learned from mistakes and God knows I've made. That's great. Thank you both so much. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Lisa. Thanks for joining us for this episode of We're Talking Leasing by Weirfold's Commercial Leasing Lawyers. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to hear from our lawyers on another topic, send us an email at publications at weirfolds.com. Stay well and tune in again soon.